Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast of Noonan First United Methodist Church. We have a couple of quick announcements before we get into this week's sermons. On Monday, April 27th, we heard from the bishop and cabinet that they are asking North Georgia United Methodist Churches to continue meeting remotely through June 22nd. Obviously, we're disappointed that it'll be another couple of months until we get to see everyone and worship together in person, but keeping in line with the first of John Wesley's three simple rules, which is to do no harm, our conference leadership has determined that meeting on campus must wait for the time being. For the full statement, as well as a list of guidelines for when we do meet again, visit ngumc.org. Finally, the May Shepherd is now available. To download the latest news, visit bit.ly slash shepherdnews. That's bit.ly forward slash shepherdnews, all one word. Or go to noonanfumc.org and click read under media at the top right of the page. Thanks again for joining us and we'll hopefully see you very soon. Hi, I'm Luke. Hi, I'm Davis. I will now read our scripture passage today, which is found in the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 through through 48. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened and why, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See what that I have. And and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that he... that." The Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You were, you are a witness of these things. Easter, more than just one day as marvelous and magnificent and moving as that day is year after year. Their Easter season or Eastertide is a period of 50 days from Easter continuing unto the day of Pentecost. 40 days after the resurrection is Ascension Sunday or Ascension Day when Jesus returns to the kingdom of heaven. And 10 days after that Ascension comes the day of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. This week we're looking at the theme, the overall theme of He Lives, Do Tell. Do tell. I don't know if that expression is peculiar to the southeastern United States, but I do know that if you Google southern expressions, humorous southern expressions, do tell will appear on almost every list. True confession, I've spent too much time looking over these lists and marveling at some of the words that are there. 
most of the expressions that I read, I had heard somewhere along the way. Some of them are appropriate for pulpit language and some are not. Some are new to me. Some of those expressions are really, really funny. Maybe we spend a day sometimes just talking about peculiar southern expressions. Now, at this point, most of you are probably thinking, bless his heart, I I wish he'd just get on with it. So here we go. Do tell. What does the expression mean? When is it most frequently employed? It can be a proper reaction to some startling news or some juicy gossip. It's often used as an invitation to, please go ahead, tell me the rest of the story. What do you know? What have you heard? In my opinion, one of the very best television actors, and some movies too, but one of the best TV actors ever was Carol O'Connor. And anyone who could portray the bigot Archie Bunker and at the same time portray portray Chief Bill Gillespie of the Sparta, Mississippi Police Department was, was quite an incredible actor. And how many times, if you used to watch that show in the heat of the night, did you hear Chief Gillespie say, well, do tell. And oftentimes, the suspect or the witness would tell. And the crime was solved when people told the story of what had really happened. Do tell. Our gospel lesson for today picks up where the story of the Emmaus Road leaves off. That story was told last week in traditional and connect services here by Deacon Vince McLaughlin-Eller and by Danny Tomlinson. And if you haven't heard those sermons, I would urge you to go back and take a look. They're both excellent tellings of the Emmaus story. Now, it's an appearance by the risen Christ in that story. A Christophany might be a more technical term for it. The disciples were reacting to the news that Cleopas and his companion, probably Mrs. Cleopas, had brought them from the Emmaus Road when Jesus appeared. They mistook him for a ghost. He began to question their doubts and their fears. And as in John's gospel, he invited them to look at, to touch his scars, touch me and see. He said, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones. And then he asked for something to eat. They offered a piece of fish and he ate it. (laughs) Strange behavior for a ghost. And then, just as in the Emmaus story, he referenced the law and the prophets, the Psalms, and how they must be fulfilled. He connected his suffering and death and resurrection to what was written in Scripture. Moving on, he spoke of repentance and forgiveness of sins being proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things, he told them, and the promise of the Holy Spirit came afterwards. The Gospel of Luke concludes with Jesus blessing his friends and ascending into heaven. Joyous worship was their response. Where did their fears go? To gain a deeper understanding of what happened next, prayerfully read through the book of Psalms. Not right now, but when you get a moment, when you get a little time. Right now we spend a little more time looking at today's gospel passage. One way to describe the overall theme of today's passage is in terms of commissioning. Jesus authorizing folks to act on his behalf. 
This was not exactly a battlefield commission. Though the forces of good and evil often were colliding, you could hear the clanging of their swords, you could hear the backfire of their weapons, an eternal struggle. A commission and his commissioning is a regular feature of these post-resurrection appearances and these stories in the Gospels. And the different biblical writers have tailored their words to talk about how they were commissioned or how Jesus commissioned others. Paul related his call to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to the outsiders, to the Lord's appearance. To Paul on the road to Damascus. Some of you are familiar with that story. Other examples, and they abound in the New Testament. Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then from John 20:21, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. In Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and proclaim the good news to all creation. And then from Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria to the ends of the earth, all Judea, all the known world. From the stories of our own lives, individually and collectively, Where are the references to our being commissioned, to our being authorized to act on behalf of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the risen Christ? For clergy in the United Methodist Church, the process of ordination has undergone some major league changes across the years. But the path is clearly outlined in the Book of Discipline. And one of the current reminders or mile markers along that path is the way commissioning is spelled out. It's in paragraph 325 of the 2016 Book of Discipline, if you happen to have one sitting around. Commissioning is the act of the church that publicly acknowledges God's call and the response, talents, gifts, and training of the candidate. The church invokes the Holy Spirit as the candidate is commissioned to be a faithful servant to the people to lead the church in service, to proclaim the word of God, and to equip others for ministry. Through the commissioning, the church sends folks in leadership and service in the name of Jesus Christ and marks their entrance into a time of provisional membership as they move toward ordination. But what about everyone else? What about all the other folk, many of you, all of you? Our commissioning begins with our baptism. It is the primary commissioning for all believers. Go ahead, flip through the chapters that make up the story of your life. Examine every paragraph, every line of type, each word. Look for those times and places where the risen Christ appeared to you and spoke to you and commanded you or commissioned you to act on his behalf. These may have been times that happened for you a long time ago, or maybe recently, maybe right now. The place may have been in Kenya, or Guatemala, or in Noonan, or in Moreland, or in your house. And the act that he had called you to may have been elongated and complex and labor-intensive, or maybe it was, for you, literally and figuratively, offering a cup of cold water. Perhaps it was only a word 
or a few words strung together like beads on thread, a necklace that becomes a symbol of hope and encouragement, a symbol of hope and forgiveness, the same forgiveness that the resurrected Christ commissioned his earliest followers to proclaim, beginning in Jerusalem, but not limited to the city limits of Jerusalem. And all of these words and deeds of ministry are in response to the one who was crucified, dead, and buried. And on the third day, he rose and he lives. Do tell. Please do tell. Where the Lord's hands and feet are no longer physically present, we are called and we are commissioned to be those scarred hands and broken feet, that scarred and broken heart commissioned by the one whose scars will never fade, commissioned by the one who experienced brokenness and pain at a depth that none of us could ever imagine or comprehend. When the risen Lord appears to his first followers, they were startled and they were terrified and they were unable to sing along with Ray Parker Jr. I ain't afraid of no ghost. So in order to set that ghost angle aside, they thought the ghost thing was real and that's who or what Jesus was. Christ invited them to touch him and to remind them a ghost does not have flesh and bones. And then he ate a piece of fish. Very unghostly behavior. Proving the resurrection with very human behaviors touching and eating. In our gospel lesson, we move from proofs of the resurrection to commissioning. For us, the living out of our commission becomes proof of the resurrection. The existence of the church some 2,000 years after that first Easter is for me one of, if not the most significant proof of resurrection. Alan Culpepper is a biblical scholar And he sums this up for us, for lack of a better term, he sums up this process in a very brief paragraph that spoke to me. Maybe it will to you as well. He said, for this reason, the movement from proofs to commissioning is natural. In a surprising way, the appearance of the risen Lord in the Gospels and Acts authorizes much that is integral to the life of the church. The preaching of the Gospel, the interpretation of Scripture, the teaching of Jesus, the Lord's Supper. All of these things, responses to doubt, the presence of the Lord with the gathered believers on the first day of the week, baptism in Jesus' name, even the doctrine of the Trinity. At their core, their appearances report the manifestation of the risen Lord to the believers and their sense that he had sent them, commissioned them to share the good news, the breaking in of the kingdom among us. The believer who affirms that the Lord is risen should therefore consider next what it is that the Lord has sent him or her to do. The uniqueness of the Easter message is that it invariably changes the lives of all of us who feel like we've been touched by it. How has it changed you? In other words, he lives. Do tell. Do tell that he came to save us, to save us from, to save us for 
Jesus the Christ came, he lived, he died, he rose from the dead to save us from brokenness and hopelessness and despair and discouragement. All of those dead end streets where to no avail we often seek to build our lives. Sin is one of those words we don't employ as frequently as we once did. A concept from which we have created, it seems to me, several degrees of separation. Yet I know of no other word that adequately describes our separation from God and our separation from one another. And try as we might, it is a condition that we cannot cure or heal or fix with our own strength and our own ability. It must be only from the one who came that we might have life abundantly and eternally. The risen Lord, our Savior, stands ready to save us from all of this. What shall we call it? All of this nothingness. And he stands always ready to save us for life. Abundant and eternal life lived on purpose. Life outwardly focused. He lives to save us from to save us for. He lives. Do tell that he came to save us and to send us. You are witnesses to these things, he says, to stay where we've always stayed, to make even more comfortable our routines that have evolved or devolved into ruts, to be concerned only with, let's say, my son and his wife, their child, and no more. It's no longer an option. We all have gifts and graces from the Holy Spirit. And if we pay attention, if we focus, if we listen, we're called outside our immediate circles. And we'll be sent where we can best employ our gifts and our graces. And this time we're going through right now, this twilight zone we're living through. It's a time to examine what our lives had become. Maybe our routines had become ruts. Maybe we had spiraled down. Maybe we had become self-centered and self-focused to the extent that we could not live out our commissioning in this world. I understand that not everyone has taken a spiritual gifts inventory. Some folks have never even heard of such, and that's okay. It's not a requirement. But don't we all discern in our better moments the deepest hurts and the hungers that are all around us in this world? What are those things that touch our hearts, that bring a a tear to our eye, that stop us in our tracks and say, how can anyone live such a difficult life? And let me suggest, as many others have done before, that the place where what brings us greatest joy and the place where the world's greatest needs, where those two intersect, That's the place where we're being sent. He lives. He lives to send us. He lives to tell that he came to save us and to send us, to strengthen us, which is to bless us. Luke's gospel that was read earlier, there are five verses that end that chapter, that end that book. And I want to read those verses for you now before we close out. Luke chapter 24, let's pick up where we left off now with verse 49. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. 
And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. He lives. That is the source of our greatest joy, even in difficult times. He lives. That is the reason we worship, the reason we offer our praise, the reason we give thanks, the reason we bless God. He lives. But not everyone around us knows that. He lives. Do tell. Amen.